read for you this morning out of the book of John, chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son for who he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour that which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed, along with his whole household. This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. God, thank you and bless the reading of these words. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> thank you, Ed, for reading that for us. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. And uh, as Mr. Ed just read to you guys, uh, we are in the book of John today, uh, chapter 4, and we will be uh, 46 through 54. And if you're joining us for the first time today, maybe in a long time, or maybe, um, maybe uh, for the first time ever, especially if you're watching with us online, uh, you've caught us in the middle of uh, two different things. So last week we finished our Christmas series, Behold, Ten Words of Wonder. Uh, kind of the reason why you see everything here on the stage with all the different phrases from Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And that culminated on this past Thursday night with our Christmas Eve worship gathering, uh, which I said earlier was an amazing time of worship together. And then next week we go into the book of Leviticus, starting out the year. That will carry us through the beginning part of 2021. And so I had been praying and asking the Lord, what is it that you would have us hear uh, today on this uh, buffer week, if you will, before we jump into Leviticus for 2021. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, the year 2020. And uh, like I said last week, we have seen great things happen this year. I mean, back when we were able to, to gather back together inside, we saw the fact that we had three people through a pandemic come to faith in Christ, and we baptized them on that first July Sunday outdoors. It was a powerful time of worship together. And we, we've seen God move and work, and people have been growing spiritually and all of that. And we also know that 2020 uh, has been a difficult year for many different things. Obviously, the reason why you're all looking at me wearing masks right now is because of a pandemic that is going on. Uh, and we are praying and hopeful that that will come to an end soon. But one of the things that I've been continually reminded all throughout 2020 has been, uh, and you hear me pray it all the time, at least I pray that you hear me pray it, is that God has not removed himself from his throne. Nobody has removed God from his throne because he cannot be removed from his throne. He sits sovereignly over this world, and we worship him and we glorify him. And I've been thinking about that as we 
come to an end of this year and look into 2021 and this idea of holy God, holy people that we're called to be as we go into Leviticus. And I was asking the Lord, what is it that you would have your people here today? And it kept coming back to me this idea of what has pushed us through all this year has been our faith. has been our faith in God and has been our faith and trust in Him. That he is the one that sustains us. He is the one that goes before us. He is the one that is with us always to the end of the age, just as he promised before he went into heaven. And so and we, we know that we celebrate this, as we talked about a few weeks ago, because of his defeat of sin and death on Calvary's cross. And so this week I was praying that, and I, I had my sermon ready by Monday. And as many, as you, many of you know, and if you don't, I'll tell you now, um, my son Noah on Christmas morning I was admitted to the hospital uh, at MUSC uh, for a blood issue with his platelets, and it came on very suddenly. Uh, there were spots all over his face uh, when we were opening presents on Christmas morning. And Miranda immediately took him to the hospital and it turned out that the platelets were very low and he had to have a transfusion and all of that. And thankfully, by the Lord's grace, and the transfusion worked, and he was able to go home yesterday, and we had our little bit of a late Christmas, but... I can't say enough about the doctors and nurses at MUSC. They did an amazing job working with him. And uh, the little boy, is a, he likes to run around and move around and do all those things like a boy does. But he's a good patient for a two-year-old. And he did a wonderful job. And yesterday when we were getting ready to pack up and go, I had been talking with some pastor friends of mine about uh, the possibility before we found out that we were going to be discharged about the sermon. And I was trying to, because you know, Obviously, Pastor Walter's not here, and he's with his family still up in Chesterfield, and I would ask that you continue to keep praying for them with the loss of his mom, and he should be back with us next week, Lord willing. Um, but obviously, Pastor Walter's not here, and I was asking some of my pastor friends that I know weren't going to be preaching today because they had somebody else filling in, if they'd be willing to. And Pastor Joe Trainum at Remount said that I would be happy to. Even if you don't need me, you just tell me, and I'll be there. And uh, Joe, if you're watching, I just want to tell you thank you, brother, and I love you. And um, we had it set up for him to come and to do that. And um, then the nurse came in and said, you're being discharged. His platelets went from 5,000 to 34,000 with the transfusion. And uh, he's doing well. And so he's home now. And he's, um, mom is keeping an eye on him and watching out for him as he continues to improve. Uh, but Miranda looked at me yesterday and said, so what are you going to do? I said, I'm, I'm still going to preach now. I mean, we'll, we'll be able to go home and I'll be able to go and preach. And then I'll come right back home to you. She said, okay, do you have a sermon ready? Are you good? And I was like, yeah. And it, it hadn't dawned on me even at that point until I said it. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching on authentic faith because I want our people to be focused on faith as they go into 2021 and how God has been faithful to us the whole time. And it's the account in John 4 of the healing of the official son. And it dawned on me. <laughs> I lived my sermon this week. <laughs> There's many times where God does that in our lives. Many times where we hear the Word of God preached. And we may think in that moment, wow, I, I, I hear Him preaching and, and all of that, but I, I don't necessarily see in this moment how it applies. Well, this pastor can tell you today, standing before you, that I've witnessed this sermon before my eyes this week. And I don't tell you that to bring glory to myself, to brag about my family or anything. I do that to bring glory to God. Because I had to live my sermon out this week. And so I pray that as we look at this passage that the Lord speaks to you in a beautiful, powerful way. And that you would see the necessity of faith. 
Faith and trust in the one who sustains everything. Faith and trust in the one who keeps everything under his control. So the title of the message today is Authentic Faith from John chapter 4. I'm going to actually read to you. I asked Mr. Ed for a specific reason. I want to just give you context for a moment. So if you would look with me at 43 through 45 just for a second. And Kimberly, if it's not there, that's fine. Uh, Just everybody can listen. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. For when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So in this opening context, these three verses that we read here, Jesus has departed for Galilee. And if you recall from any time you've read through the Gospels, especially in chapter 2 of John, this is the same place uh, where he turns the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. His miracles that was performed there at that wedding service. And so there's an idea of where he's going. He's going back to this place. And here in today's account, we see this second miracle that he performs, this healing of the official's son. Now, in comparing those two, we're going to see how both begin this request that Jesus, excuse me, the request that Jesus would almost initially rebuff. He almost initially gives this rebuttal to it. But then he speaks. And after speaking the command, both are reported through what other characters say result in belief. And these are powerful examples we're going to see today. Am I cutting out? Give me one second, everybody. Try that again. You hear me? All right. Praise God. This is why I carry extra batteries in the pulpit. <laughs> All right. So, we're going to see example. So, the title of the message I said is Authentic Faith. And so, if you're taking notes, I pray you are. The first point is this. Authentic faith is a necessity to follow Jesus. Authentic faith is a necessity to follow Jesus. Look with me at 46. So he came up again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. So John's informing us, like I said, about him coming to Cana in Galilee where he turned the water into wine. And this is on the third day. Now we see some very similar things, as I said, in this account compared to John 2. But before we get there, let's understand something about this. We see that John state that there is an official. And this term of official, in the Greek, it means royalty. It means that this is a very important person. Now, let me go ahead and add a little side note, okay? When I was giving you the example, telling you about stuff that's going on with knowing all that, I don't consider myself an important person, so don't put me that I'm comparing myself to a royal official there. But I'm just telling you, just to see how God has been moving in the midst of this. But by this point, in the chronological account of Jesus' life, from the point of his birth through his ministry, we get to this point where he has interacted with several different kinds of people. Some examples of some of the people he's interacted with. The first of which was Nicodemus. We see this ruler of the Jews that comes to John, excuse me, comes to Jesus in John chapter 3. We see John the Baptist himself who sees Jesus and he proclaims who Christ is before the people. We see Jesus in John chapter 4 verse 7 how he interacts with the Samaritan woman. 
And now we see his interacting with the royal official here in today's account. Now what is interesting about the fact that he has interacted with all of these different types of people? It's just that. They're all different types of people, yet they all come to Jesus or are approached by Jesus and there is a specific need or something that arises. It's a timely reminder for each of us, church. It's a timely reminder for us that no matter who we are or what we may achieve in this life, we all need Christ. We all need Christ. We need Him every moment of every single day. Nicodemus, he was the one of the religious establishment. He knew the things of the Scriptures, yet he still needed Jesus and he sought out We know that the Samaritan woman, she's there at the well. Jesus approaches her, but what about her? She is an outcast because of the history that she has in her life. That she realizes that she needs Jesus after interacting with him. That in and of itself with what we talked about a few weeks ago with, or last week with great joy for all people. And the fact that the angels, when they appear the night of Christ's birth and they herald the good news that Christ has been born, who is it that they're heralding to? Shepherds, outcasts of society. And now this official, this man with power and authority, yet he still needs Jesus because a need has arisen. Look at verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. This official comes to Jesus and presents this plea to Jesus to come and heal his son. This verse tells us that his son is at the point of death. Now let me ask you, parent, grandparent, friend of somebody that has a child and you think dearly about the child, if you're in that moment and you have this need for your child to be healed, what are you doing if you are this man? Are you coming to this man and saying, hi Jesus, hey, when you have time, if you have a moment, can you please come and heal my son? He's about to die. No. You gotta imagine this man in this moment, he is begging and pleading with Jesus. My son is about to die. Can you please come and save him? Can you please come and help him? He is begging Jesus. See in his voice, desperate need, Jesus, please come and save him. You know, when I when I prepared for this message, I only had the thought in my mind of. And I wonder if this is how this man would feel. In the last few days, I realized, man, I understand how the man feels. He heard the news of who Jesus was. He heard the news, wait a minute, this guy turned water into wine here just a couple days ago. If he can do something like that, maybe this man could heal my son. I've got to ask find this man. i got to see what he can do. And he tells him down with him is because Cana was on this higher ground compared to Capernaum and he wanted him to go down by the lake. Come down here with me, Jesus, please. Look at the necessity of the request, church. His son is about to die. And the reality is that the child is about to die and he wants Jesus to heal him. Now, This is a physical, 
It's a physical death that his child is about to die. And he's coming to Jesus with this request. But over and over and over again while looking at this text, kept impressing on me, Brian, if that is your request in that moment, and I see the urgency in the request. And church, for any of us that has a loved one we know that has been sick, that may be sick right now, and that we've lost, or that we've been begging and pleading to God, save this person, they are dying, they have cancer, they have this sickness. Some of us in this room or watching online may have people that we know that have died from the COVID virus. And we have been begging and pleading with God to save them from their physical pain. But I have to ask the question, do we also come before the Lord with that same urgency about those that are spiritually dying? Do we still come and beg and plead just like this man about the physical death of his son to say, Lord, please save, fill in the blank. I know that they don't know you. And I know that life is so precious and it can instantly be gone. Save their soul. There has got to be an urgency in us, not only to pray for the physical, which must be prayed for, but also the spiritual. We must be praying consistently for those that we love and care for, yes, that need Christ. We also need to pray for those that God has called us to every single day that are around us in our circle of accountability. Look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, for our first reading of this, even though the translation says him, I want to point out something. Because it says that there and it almost leaves us puzzled. Jesus, why would you respond with that kind of rebuttal? Why would you say that? But we have to remember something that we read back in 45. You have to remember back in 45 that this crowd comes there and they're seeing all of these things. And it says that many of them welcomed him. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. All of these Galileans have welcomed Jesus. Here's the thing. When Jesus is interacting with this man about his son, it's not just Jesus and the official that are standing there of folks around. They are paying attention to what is being said. They're hearing this man beg and plead with this request and they've got all ears. Jesus has their attention. Let's see what he says. And then Jesus says in 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Why? Why does Jesus say this? Well, it's very similar in the context to John 2 when Mary comes to Jesus and says, uh, Jesus, they're out of wine. And, Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The time has not come for me to do this. You see, Jesus is not wanting to do something to get more and more of the crowd's attention. The purpose of Christ Jesus' mission was not to go and be a rock star and have all these groupies and everybody following around him. The purpose was not of that. Yes, there were people that followed him earnestly and wanted to be his followers and disciples. We know that. But the purpose was ultimately to bring glory to the Father. To point everything back to him who sent Jesus. 
So Jesus did not go around and say, hey, I'm going to go and do this or I'm going to do this. That's why Jesus points out very clearly, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's not to gain popularity. It's to point people to God. And I love how Leon Morris, a biblical scholar, says in his commentary about Jesus' reasoning of saying what he says. He says, Jesus is affirming that people such as the man... Excuse me, such as the man who had come to him were lacking in the deep, trustful attachment which is of the essence of faith. They looked for the spectacular and sought him out only because they loved the sensational. Wow. Jesus is telling these people in this moment, not the official, all the people that are around the official as well, not just the official. He's telling them, You're coming here just to see signs and wonders. You're not coming here ultimately for me. You're not coming here to see me, to gain understanding of me, to understand why I have come. You don't have the faith that is required in this, in this moment for you to even hear the words that I'm saying. You come just to see a show. And after reading that, and meditating that, and pondering what Jesus says here, it brings this question to my mind. What are we like? Are we like these people? And I am not asking that with judgment in my thought. I'm asking a, a legitimate question. What is our response to that? Do we come in and do we gather week after week just to, to see a spectacle, to enjoy some music, to hear Walter and I get up here and yell like crazy men? Richie's on his head because <laughs> we yell like crazy men. Do we come just for that or do we come truly to interact and experience the movement of God amongst the saints? To worship the Savior, the one who willingly died for us. Do we come for the sensation of being at church and being with the people, playing the game? Or do we truly take this and we live it out every single day in our daily lives for the purpose of praising God? Because, here's the reality, faith is a necessity. We have to trust God for who He is. We have to trust that He says what He says and we, we believe it and we trust in Him. We live by faith. The second thing we see here is that authentic faith is true belief. Authentic faith is true belief. Verses 49 through 50. Can you put the next slide up? Authentic faith is true belief. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. After Jesus gives this warning to the crowd, the official again begs Jesus to come down so that the child doesn't die. Can you picture this? He has offered the plea. He has begged Jesus to please come down and save him. Jesus gives rebuttal. And then again, the man says, Sir, come down before my child dies. The urgency is there. Sir, please come and do this. Please come and do this. In the verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. 
The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus simply tells the royal official to go and his son's going to be fine. Jesus doesn't say, okay, take me to him now. Jesus doesn't run down as fast as he can down there. No, he simply says, go and your son will live. Look at the official's response. It says there, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. Don't miss this church. Don't miss this. The man simply believed Jesus at his word. He believed Jesus at his word. He didn't need to see a thing happen to believe like those that were standing there in the crowd, wanting the sensation of seeing some sign take place. No, all he needed to do was hear the Savior's voice. Hear God speak in the flesh and say, Go, your son will live. That's faith, right? That's faith. Faith is trusting God because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and knowing that if He can defeat sin and death, you better believe if He tells me something, I'm going to believe it because He's conquered the grave. You better believe that if it's said, it is the reality for us, church. Jesus is not standing in the flesh before us like these people had right before Him. No, but Jesus is laid out in the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation laid all out for us through God's perfect redemptive plan. And as we open the Word of God, we hear God speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. We ask Him through Your living Word, speak to me. And every single moment we read the Word of God, God is speaking to us. It is His living, active, divinely inspired, inerrant Word. So you better believe when we're going through difficulties and trouble, when we're at points of no return, we're at points of stopping and saying, I don't know how the bill's going to get paid this week. God, I don't know what you're going to do for my son that's in the hospital. God, I don't know what you're going to do for my aging parents, my grandparents that are dying. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do of this situation, but God, you speak through your word, you tell me things, and Lord, as you reveal yourself to me, you better believe I'm going to trust every single thing that you say because you defeated the grave. I'm going to trust you for who you are. And so when you tell me in your word to cast your cares and anxieties to you because you care for me, I'm going to believe it because you saved my soul from an evil death that is not anything that I would ever want. You saved my soul because you defeated me. So I'm going to word. And I'm going to you speak to me every time on the pages of your word. We must believe God at Followers cannot say, you cannot say, I don't hear from God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot say, I don't hear from God. Because if you are saying that you don't hear from God and you are truly a follower of Christ, you got the earplugs in or something. Or you got some kind of sin, heart issue going on that you need to repent of. Because God is there crying out to us from His Word when we open it. We must repent of things that are in the way of hearing from God. You cannot say that you never hear from God if you are a follower of Jesus. Because he speaks. And we must listen and we must take him at his word. 
This type of command from Jesus can only be obeyed if the one hearing truly trusts Christ. The official doesn't go and ask Jesus to to make sure that what he said is going to happen. He simply believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. Now, we're going to pause there for a second. We're just going to look at a quick account in the book of Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. We see another command here. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the account of this rich young man coming before Jesus and asking Jesus, you know, what must I do? And and he lays out all these things, and, and Jesus makes it very clear, do these things. And a man says, hey, I've been doing these things since I was a kid. I got that. And 21 says, looking at him, loved him. Jesus has heard this man's rebuttal back. And Scripture says, looking at him, he loved him. It's almost this sign of, you don't get it. You don't get it. Go and give away all that you have to the poor, and you'll receive the treasure in heaven and follow me. And 22, I think, is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This young man is given this command by Jesus to do something without a sign to marvel at, just like those people that Jesus was talking to, and he simply cannot do it because he was holding on too much to the possessions that he had. Here we see Jesus tell the rich young ruler to go and to do something, give everything away, and the ruler, the rich young man, excuse me, cannot do it. Yet the Opposite happens in the moment with the royal official. Jesus tells him to go and do something. And in telling him to go, what is he telling him to do? He's telling him to trust God. He's telling him to trust that the words that Jesus has spoken are truth. To take him at his word. To trust in what he is saying. And he does just that. This to us, church, is a representation of authentic faith, being given a command by Jesus, taking him at his word and following. Which leads me to point three. Authentic faith continues to grow in sanctification. Authentic faith continues to grow in our sanctification. Look at verse 51 of John 4. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Excuse me, that was 51, not 54. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. The royal official has Jesus to head back to his child. And going off of the word that Jesus spoke to him, you can imagine in that moment what he must be feeling. All right, this is the guy. I sought him out. I found him. 
He told me to go. I'm going to trust him at what he said. And I'm going to hope and pray that when I get there, my boy is well. He's met by the bondservants. And they inform him that the child is actually recovering. Imagine with me the father's amazement to hear these words. Overjoyed. Excited. The one who stood before him and said, go, your child will be well. He was truthful to his word. I believed him, so I'm going to go. I'm going to do what he said. Lo and behold, trusting in him was the right thing to do because my son is recovering. Look at 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to, see, to, began to get better. And he, they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. They tell him what's going on. They tell him that this has taken place. And the father, 53, knew that it was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. A beautiful, powerful set of verses there, church. After hearing that his child was better at the seventh hour, the day before, when Jesus said it, this man realizes that it was the time that his son started to recover. Look what happens. Look what happens. The father leaves Jesus, hopeful that Jesus' words will come to fruition, hopeful that he's telling him the truth. He's going to believe him. He goes. He sees that, in fact, Jesus was telling the truth, and he believes he took for a moment, in that moment, hearing Jesus say that, he's saying, all right, he has said this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him at his word, I'm going to go. But then, after seeing it happen, God's beautiful, glorious work at hand, he truly believes. He becomes a follower, and it says, all his household. Imagine again with me what this royal official has done. He has risked his reputation as a royal official to go and seek out help from somebody like Jesus in that moment. He's risked his reputation to go to Jesus. He has to think this is the last and final option because if I don't do something right now, my son will die. And God in the flesh is there before him. And here he encounters God in the flesh and he sees the power of Jesus Christ. He understands there in that moment the authoritative power of Jesus' words and his entire household believes even after he does. The man's obedience to Christ, don't miss this, the man's obedience to Christ's authoritative word had implications beyond his life and that of his son. It changed him and his family for eternity. That will preach. That'll preach. If we walk in obedience to Christ, our children will see the example and prayerfully come to Christ. If we walk in obedience to Christ, prayerfully those in our family will come to Christ. If we walk in obedience to Christ, prayerfully those people that we love and care for that are our co-workers that don't know Christ, they come to Christ. If we walk in obedience to Christ with this authentic faith on display, 
You better believe the people that are around us are going to see difference. They're going to see a person, no matter what happens in their life, they trust God through it all. And that obedience is on display. And prayerfully, those people will repent and believe. Being shining examples like we see back in Matthew 5. It's an example of being salt and light of the earth. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've experienced His loving kindness, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His powerful working because of His finished work of the cross and His resurrection from the grave. You've experienced these things, and it's because of the repeated times you've seen and experienced this working and power in your life that you continually grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him. It's all part of our sanctification, church, growing more and more to be like Christ. We grow in our sanctification every day, prayerfully, and we will prayerfully until the day we see Jesus face to face. This faith that's authentic, it grows more and more as we are sanctified daily. We are saved the moment of our salvation, but we continually grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with Christ. The more and more we spend time with Him, the more and more we are obedient to Him, the more and more we trust Him. And there may be some of us in this room or online that have heard these words spoken, but you've never believed and followed. You've played the part. You've come week after week, or you've listened week after week, because that's what you're supposed to do. And you may have never truly encountered the risen Lord. Here's the thing that's so important about it all. He's risen. He's risen indeed. We've celebrated his birth. But we have to remember that he was born to die. He was born to die. He was born for the purpose of God's redemptive plan to defeat the grave, to take on the weight of our sin, burying them on Calvary's cross where God's wrath was poured out on him. Until the moment, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he cried out, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died on that cross. And he was buried in the grave and resurrected on the third day. My prayer is for each of us that we know the risen Lord truly. We don't know of him here. We know of him here. Because we've radically been transformed by his finished work and have been saved. And so when we have moments like this in our lives, like 2020 has been, where our faith is tested, where we stop and we say, I don't know what is going to happen next, where we stop and we ask the question, why God, why? Where we look around and we feel like there is no good in sight. We have to stop and remember that He is a holy God. 
sitting on his throne. And we who are in Christ have been called to be his holy people who walk in obedience to him, trusting him, knowing that although everything looks bad around us and that things that we are going through are difficult, he is with us. He is with us always to the end of the age. Hallelujah for that truth. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you in this moment to stop, as we always do, for a time of reflection. Before the band comes forward, I want you to stop and just sit still. I'm reminded of the psalmist in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I don't know what each of us are going through. I have an idea because I'm your pastor. But there's different things that each of us are carrying with us. There are weights that we are bearing. There are difficulties in our life. There's grieving. There's pain. There's sadness. And although it looks very different for each and every one of us, the one thing that we all have if we are in Christ is that He is with us. And that we must be still and know that He is God and trust Him. So during this time of reflection, if you're in Christ, a follower, I want to ask you to ask Him. Father, during this time, what are you speaking to me? Do I need to trust you more? Do I need to repent of something? Whatever it may be, I want you to ask Him to reveal that to you. And as He reveals it to you, I want you to truly deal with it there in that moment. And if you're not in Christ, you don't know Him as Savior and Lord, but you want to know, you feel the Spirit is moving, you're saying, what is this? I don't know what is happening. I've heard these words spoken. I want to know this one that can say something and instantly it's done. Well, that one is the one that died for you. The Bible makes it clear. If you would confess with your mouth after repenting of your sins that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God defeated the grave and resurrected him, and you shall be saved. Now here's the thing. And many of, in this room, many of us in this room can attest. I can attest it to you because of what I've experienced the last couple of days. The moment you follow Christ, unlike some gospels that are presented out there, it's not a bed of roses. Things don't work out perfectly. Matter of fact, things get a little bit more difficult. We have to trust the Lord every single day. We have to wake up every single day and we have to die to self. Take up our cross daily and follow him. And there are difficulties in this life that we face because of that. And there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. But here's the beautiful thing, folks. That enemy, as I've said week after week the last several weeks, there's a day coming when the chief shepherd appears and that enemy gets thrown into the pit for all eternity and locked away. And only Jesus has the key. And he will reign forever. And we will praise his name forever if we are in Christ. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Let's have a moment of quiet reflection. And then I'll pray and the band will come forward and lead us. In our closing.
Father in heaven, Lord, I come before you now. Lord, on behalf of every person that's in the sound of my voice, whether in person or online, Father, we come before you now and we thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is living and active. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you speak when we seek you in your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray now, Lord, as those who have heard the words that, that I have spoken, Lord, that you have spoken today. Lord, for the one that is in Christ, Lord, that knows you, the Lord, they're battling something, they have something going on, Lord, whatever it is that you need to do in the moment with them, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to them, Lord, that they would do business with you in that regard, and they would walk in obedience with you moving forward. Lord, for the one that is listening that doesn't have a relationship with you, but Lord, your Holy Spirit is moving and working right now. Father, I pray, Lord, that they would repent of their sins and confess Christ Jesus as Lord. Let today be the day of salvation for someone. Father, I pray, God, that you would move and work during this time in such a beautiful way. Lord, as we sing this song of praise to you, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can be still and know that you are God. That we can trust you every step of the way because you have all authority on heaven and earth. And you are with us always. Father, we love you and we bless you in Christ's strong name we pray. Amen.